This is Youpreneur FM, the official podcast of the Youpreneur Mastermind Community, a place where no entrepreneur gets left behind in their pursuit of building a business they can be proud of. And now, and now, here's your host, serial entrepreneur and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Chris Ducker. Well, hello and welcome to episode 280 of Youpreneur FM. You are in the right place if you are a entrepreneur building your business based around you, your personality, your experience, and the people that you want to serve. This is it, guys. You found your people. You found your home. Welcome home. Uh, very seriously, though, great show planned uh, today. Jane Shramko comes back on the show. But before um, I get into uh, my intro for James, um, I just want to say that the last five weeks or five, six weeks or so have been incredible. They've just been off the charts for me and for the Youpreneur brand as a whole. Uh, in case you're not in the know, my latest book entitled Rise of the Youpreneur came out on February 20, and we have just received nothing but amazing feedback for it. We've sold a whole bunch of copies, tons of great feedback, uh, reviews, and I'm just really, man, I'm just, I'm humbled, I'm blessed. I don't know what else I can say. Uh, the feedback has just been unbelievable. There's not a day that I don't check my email or my social platform uh, profiles, and uh, I don't receive messages or or, you know, just quick thumbs up or whatever. So look, if you picked up the book, what I'm trying to say here is thank you. You're incredible. I love you. You're you're unbelievable. Um, if you haven't already done so, what the bloody hell are you actually waiting for? Oh, dear. Just head over to riseoftheupreneur.com or a little short URL for you, youpreneur.com forward slash book and uh, pick up a copy. I'd love for you to do so. Today on the show, James... Shramko is back on. It's been a while since Jane was on the show, actually, uh, all the way from Australia. And when I think about lifestyle entrepreneurs today, I think about James, genuinely. Every single time I look at his social profiles, he's surfing. He's never working. I don't actually know if he does work anymore, uh, except for the fact that all his, his clients remain very steadfast in saying that he's incredible for what he does for them. But James is one of those guys, actually, that you can just learn so much from in regards to time leveraging and all that sort of stuff. His latest book is out, and it's an absolute corker, Work Less, Make More, and so I wanted to have him on the show to talk about that and just talk about what he's been up to and how he's really scheduling his time now around the real priorities in his life, like surfing, for example, uh, and making sure that he continues to serve his clients in the right way as a personal brand entrepreneur himself. So here's myself and James chatting up a storm. I know you're going to enjoy. So James, welcome back to Youpreneur FM. It's good to have you back, man. It's always good to catch up with you, Chris, a lively uh, host and entertaining. <laughs> Thank you very much. I love it. So um, you've got a new book out, and I wanted you to come on and talk about this because, I mean, when I think about the concept, and we should say title of the book, Work Less, Make More, the counterintuitive approach to building a profitable business and a life you actually love. When I think about anybody that I know with that work-life balance that is very clearly a major priority for them, you're right there 
in the top three to four people that I think about. Because whenever I see you on social media, you're never talking about business. You're talking about surfing. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Every time. And I'm like, this guy has his priorities very, very, very clearly set out here. Talk to us. I mean, you, you haven't been surfing forever. This has been something that's just really sort of come into your life in the last few years, right? So, I mean, I'm just curious to know what – let's just stay on the surfing thing for a minute. What brought you to the surfing thing as a, as a pastime to begin with? Yeah, so it's been four years and guilty as charged. I actually created a high-level mastermind in Hawaii with my good friend and brother from another mother, Ezra Firestone. Mm. We had a podcast together called Think, Act, Get, and we decided to run a, a Hawaii retreat. And after the retreat finished, Ezra grabbed a surfboard, threw it in the back of the car. We went down to Chun's Reef, and he just paddled out, you know, no shirt, nothing, just with his board shorts. And I thought this guy's going to get lost to sea, like he's just going to drown or whatever. But he went out and he was having a great time and he, he's waving to come out. And he said, look, when you fall, just spread your arms wide and fall flat. I'm like, why would I need to do that? That sounds really weird. He goes, oh, it's just because there's a razor sharp reef underneath here. I'm like, okay, oh, well, that's, this, is, Good this is where you bring people to learn to surf. <laughs> I think I stood up for like a microsecond and – and it was pretty tough. But but then I went back home and I live in Manly at the beach, it, which is definitely a surf culture. It's it's even called Surf City by the local council. And all the people around me in the shops where I buy my organic hippie type foods that seem to be prolific in these areas, they're all really chilled and nice and, and friendly. And I kept seeing the surfboards in the shop where I'd buy my coffee. And eventually, I just thought, you know, I live in Manly. It's a surf culture. They seem like nice people. I used to boogie board and body surf. Maybe I could give this a try. You know, sure, I'm 42 years old. <laughs> and one of Ezra's friends who had an e-commerce store loaned me a nine-foot-six – it was actually a nine-foot-two board uh, that, that uh, I could actually try. And I remember, you know, clanging it into the lift on the way up and down the building. <laughs> Every day, I'd just – take it down and try and stand up on this thing. And it was incredibly hard, just like starting a business. And I found the most amazing metaphor. It, it brought me a lot of joy to go back into beginner's mindset and to attack this. Um, you know those those uh, exercises people ask you on podcasts? Like if you were to go back in time, what would right, you say right. to your younger self? Or, you know, if you started today with nothing, how would you make an income? Well, that was kind of the challenge. Like, Knowing everything I know about uh, process optimization and mastery and building a system to get a good result in a short time, how do I approach this surfing? And I just love the challenge. And then this whole fitness revolution came and I sheared off weight. I became fitter and stronger and skinnier than I have been since the 90s. People around me are saying, oh, you look so much better, you, you're glowing, you're, you're happy. And, this, and other things happen. You can sleep really well because you're actually exhausted and uh, you're excited to wake up the next day to see what the conditions are. And nature keeps messing up the playing field. It's always different. So there's mm. a lot of variety. And then mm. you start doing surf travel. So you go to uh, New Zealand and the Maldives and Hawaii and uh, Bali, like Indonesia, and 
you can trial these different waves in California, of course. So it just turns into it's, – it's, it's transforms from something that you do to who you are. And, sure. and it has literally changed my life. And it's become a driving force as to how I schedule my routine and calls. And uh, I, I actually work off the – you know the tide charts and the conditions, and and I, I won't compromise on that. And it's it's made my life a lot better. Like I said, a man with with clearly, uh, you know, his priorities very clearly set out. Um, and I like that non-negotiable man. I mean, you know, I I did a masterclass for my audience at the end of 2017, and one of the exercises that um, I got them to do was make a list of two or three non-negotiables for 2018 things that you're just not going to get involved with or things that you're just not going to sway away from and i mean that would be right up there for you obviously other people said well i'm gonna you know i'm gonna work out three days a week no matter what or i'm gonna stop handling tier one support emails i'm gonna hire somebody to do that and there was a whole bunch of amazing uh, goals that people set but i think it all comes down to priorities and i mean clearly over the years that you've built your businesses, you've sold a couple of businesses. I want to get into that in a minute, actually, um, because everything you do now has a very clear sense of lifestyle slammed into it. And, you know, not maybe since the four hour work week have I, you know, picked up a book and, you know, public apology, you know, here I haven't read the entire book uh, from James, but I was able to get a copy from him. And I've, you know, I reckon probably a good third of it has been consumed in the last week. Uh, But I mean, the fact is that I genuinely believe that since the four hour work week, James, I don't think we've had a book like this, where clearly you're showing people how to plan their business growth, how to set their goals, uh, you know, the importance of building a team and all this stuff. But I don't think we've had a book in the last eight, nine years um, since the four-hour work week that is clearly, very clearly focused on that lifestyle element as well. So I wanted to give you that public kudos there uh, because I think we need it. I think, I, I think we're overdue by about three, four years, quite frankly. Well, that's super kind, uh, and it's you know it's a massive benchmark to be compared to. But I really felt I wanted to write a book, uh, which I dedicated to my children. I wanted to write a book that's actually relatable for a, someone with kids or a parent or someone mm-hmm. who's in a, a a real job and has responsibilities. Because when I read the Four Hour Work Week, it was a fantastic book and very inspiring, and it actually inspired me to hire my first VA that book so it was part of my journey but I could also uh, I could also criticize the perspective that it it wasn't relevant to me having kids and a mortgage at the time Mm. like how hard is it for a young white male you know in life with no kids in your 20s to survive like you could do that on a shoestring (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, whereas you know, I was I was under the pump and on the hook for loans, for property and shares, and I didn't really feel like I could just cut that loose and travel around the world and start doing dancing competitions. So I wanted to provide a useful instruction manual and some tools from all of the things that I've learned over the last few decades about business to quick start somebody, to get them Within about two hours, I've heard that it takes to read the entire book from start to finish and action steps at the end of each chapter so that you can start making progress even from the the introduction. 
And while we're in the compliments stage of things, let me say a huge thank you because on page one of the book, the in the introduction where I talk about are you leaving life on the table, uh, I talk about when I'm on stage about to present at a very exclusive conference Ooh. with 50 people sitting in front of me. That was your event, Chris, in the Philippines. It was at TTT, and the lady who helped me put this book together, the fabulous Kelly Exeter, was sitting in that audience, and she came up to me after I spoke and said, well, why don't you have a book? (laughs) And I I went through that explanation of how I tried, and it was difficult, and she offered to help me, which I'm very grateful for, and it wouldn't have happened had I not been invited to speak at your event. So there's a big tie-in, and this book has some DNA that came from – uh, your event. Some ducker DNA. A little. Your audience DNA. are fabulous uh, people. They're very switched on and lovely people and motivated and, and fun because they've got an uh, attractive and entertaining leader to inspire them. Uh, so I, I've always done well with uh, the people who are in your community and. Yep. It's very much relevant for your audience because it, it sort of was born from from that. That was a catalyst of yeah, people absolutely. who it resonated with. I, w- I would agree 100%. And the one thing that I love about my audience and my, my you know subscribers and whatnot is that they can smell BS a mile away. They genuinely really can. Um, I know because I've had conversations with them about a number of different things in regards to that. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that when they pick up a copy of this book, they're going to enjoy it the way I've been enjoying it and the way that obviously thousands more are going to enjoy it for years to come. So let, let's, um, let's deep dive here a little bit then. So when you sat down, obviously being your first book, I'd like to maybe go over this next 20 minutes or so of the call, sort of maybe the first half would talk about the fact that it's taken you this long uh, to come out with a book and and maybe why and maybe what some of the challenges were from an author perspective for you the first time around and then maybe go into maybe two or three really hard-hitting pieces of info within the book itself that you want to get across to the audience here today so they make sure you know we make sure they go ahead and buy a copy of the book so they can enjoy it as well so i guess really my first question is why did it take you so long to come out with a book because you've been in this space longer than me in terms of the internet world internet business world why why did it take you so long to come out with it well i did try the first time around so it's kind of my second book but the first one that made it to the public and i'm not sure if you found it easy or hard to publish a book but there are definitely some brutal steps along the way um, in fact, one of the, the things that makes it seem obvious that I should have a book was one of the handicaps, and that is I have so much content. I have got right. probably a thousand podcasts uh, if you combine my different shows and certainly if you were to add guest appearances. I have eight or nine years' worth of forum posts, hundreds of thousands of posts, and I had um, – a lot of courses. I mean, I put out a new course pretty much every month for my own community. So there's just so much stuff. It was hard to wade through that and and find the hook or the angle that summarizes me because being a generalist, I'm reasonably handy in lots of different areas of the business. So I'm not known for just one thing. Mm-hmm. But I think now we've found the one thing I'm known for and that is I really do help people work less and make more. Uh, and, and that's... Uh, good. So the first time I tried to do it, I actually paid someone to help me and she was working for an, a, a proper publishing company, a traditional company. And she quit that job and she 
took on my project. And we went through all the interviews and I gave her access to my stuff. And then she kind of froze up and, and didn't produce for quite some time. I think it was actually a couple of years, a year or two. And by the time she got around to it, life had moved on for me and I was pretty busy doing other stuff like building up my SEO empire and uh, all sorts of other things. And I just didn't feel like the book was the book that was going to to get published and represent me. I did, when I published a book, I wanted it to be a good book, like a really good book because sure. I've read a lot of books and I guess I've built a standard around working in places like Mercedes-Benz. I didn't want to do a pamphlet. I didn't want a little, one of those little marketing lead capture things that some people publish in, you know, in a short turnaround period because I do feel there's some kind of permanency to it. And I wanted it to sit on the bookshelf next to the 4-Hour Workweek or some similar book and to feel like it's in good company, you know, next to your book, Virtual Freedom, for example. So uh, this time around, it was really a case of Kelly inspiring me to, to have another go at it. And I can tell you the process uh, was hard for me. Kelly made it much easier because she's very good at editing and and collating the information and asking the right questions and rewording things, you know, from a lot of content. She whittled it down. She'd ask me all sorts of stuff and I would rattle off answers and, and dictate them for hours all across Europe. And uh, I remember sitting under the Eiffel Tower in my hotel room looking at the Eiffel Tower for, for an hour or so. I could rattle off nearly 10,000 words. Right. And we'd get it transcribed and I'd send it off. And then I'd get the chapter back and there's like two parts of the whole story in there. <laughs> <laughs> so right. she was ruthless. You should have seen how much stuff was there that we started with I to end believe. up. Yeah. You know, with just 160 or I don't know, maybe it's 138 pages. Not that much. Um, we ended up with there's not a single wasted word. The other thing that I found challenging is on um, the first read through, it was, it was really hard to get my bearings on, you know, who is this for? Is this what I want to put out in the world? Is, is this the best content that I could do? Are they the right chapters? And we sort of toyed around with different ideas and angles and we sort of shifted it a little bit towards the end. And I think we came up with the right one. In fact, one of the proposed chapters or book titles uh, became a chapter and then the chapter got bumped from the whole book and became an, um, a special download from my personal website because it's the most uh, likely chapter to change over time and the rest we left right. in there was evergreen, really won't change. So I did build it with a, a sort of legacy and a permacy in mind. I love that. But it's, it's an intro book. It's like... My biggest challenge up until now probably has been that no one knows I exist. So this is me saying, here I am. This is what I'm all about. And I've been absolutely blown away by the support from my own community, people who have stepped up and endorsed it and shared it uh, to their tribes and or even a, agreed to be in the book, sure. uh, which was very nice. And now that it's out there, I, what a relief. But it even sure. took me like, two hours per chapter uh, just to, to re-read with a fine uh, tooth comb and to adjust words and to just tighten it up. And there's like 10 chapters. So just that was the hardest, most grueling part. And one of the reasons why is I had actually trained myself out of sitting down for more than two hours straight. <laughs> right. Like I, I would rarely work more than 
50 minutes in a go. Like recording a 50-minute podcast would be the longest activity I'd do in a row and then I'd have a break. So I had to actually hook back into my old work ethic where I could string together several two- or three-hour blocks to, to get through the work. Yeah, I uh, wasn't match fit for that, but I, I got back into it and, and by the end I was dialing out three or four chapters you know, in one day, whereas it might have taken me a few days to get through a chapter. And so that was, that was the hard part. Mm. And there was like one chapter that I hated uh, when I read the manuscript. I read half the manuscript on the way to – uh, the Maldives, Kelly had it printed out for me and shipped it over as a book. I read half of it. I hated one chapter uh, because it just wasn't it wasn't me, but everything else was amazing. And I let two beta readers uh, go through it, a complete rookie and a very experienced guy, and I got their notes and I got my notes, and then I read the other half when I went over to the Philippines. So I had – uh, my notes and two other readers' notes, just three people. I didn't put it out to people. I didn't I ask that. anyone's opinion. I just like kept it tight. And using those three notes, I spent a couple of hours per chapter just pulling it all in using a new filter. And that is, could a 15-year-old kid, could my son read this book and get it and connect with it? Because if he can, then it's going to work for most of my audience. And I've actually been surprised that a lot of advanced people like Perry Marshall, for example, are rating the book, uh, which you know, or John Reese, who's one of my absolute online heroes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, being very kind about the book. So I think it's it's hit the mark, and yeah, it was definitely challenges. It took a while; it probably took me about eighteen months from the suggestion to when we got it out, and it was a bit of a an effort. Even things like doing the, the cover photo, Kelly wasn't happy. Absolutely with my brutal. Picture. Yeah, she says you you are not uh, you don't look like that anymore. You need to, to hire a professional. So I set up the camera and the lights on my balcony. I took some pictures and I sent them over. And she goes, "Nope." <laughs> so in the end, I uh, I found my good friend Malcolm Lyons came over and took the pictures and sent it off. And she goes, "Yes, this is fine." And then and my buddy Greg Merrilies from Studio One, he he helped out with the cover and you know just people came together to help me, which was just amazing it certainly speaks to the power of team and it sure outsourcing. does yeah like it sure does yeah the books by me and about my stuff but it, it really was um, it was such a significant amount of help from the people around me and, and kelly especially without her i wouldn't have done the book so if you want to say it came down to one thing i, I think it was just her she was like the ultimate catalyst mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean it, usually there's one that, like from what i've kind of picked up from speaking to tons and tons and tons of authors it's usually one or two things that sort of come together generally at roughly the same time maybe it was you meeting kelly in the philippines and and then maybe her following up a little later on on you or whatever the case may be but i mean like i i've also gone through as you know with rise of the Upreneur just recently that whole rigmarole of editing the book editing the, and it was tough and i independently published just like you have um, my book's twice as long as yours. Why I do this to myself, I don't know. But I mean, it's kind of like maybe you don't have a Kelly. <laughs> yeah, well, I do. That's the thing. I certainly do. But I, I mean, tried to be. I tried to be longer. <laughs> I, 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 it's weird, isn't it? Like, and and I think that a lot of authors, and this isn't my first book rodeo. Obviously, with Virtual Freedom out, I kind of. Um, I mean, I feel like Rise of Upreneur is is generally the absolute best. It, 
possibly could have been. And we, we cut 15,000 words out of that sucker. Easy from the first manuscript. But the toughest part wasn't the writing. The toughest part was the editing of it. And it was the, the cover. I hate posing. I don't mind having my photo taken, but I don't want to look right into the camera lens and like posed and knowing full full well that this photo is from my book cover um at one point in the middle of the shoot we did the shoot here in in the philippines at one point i'd say you know what we'll just do graphics we'll just do graphics you can't for a book with you in the title i my know friend. exactly so we, we had to push through you know what i mean so it was the, well, it was the weirdest mean. thing it was the weirdest thing but anyway um well I'm, I'm glad you've come up with it i'm glad that it's out i'm glad that and and i'm glad actually that it is um i mean it's not a bite-sized read but it's a quick and easy read no, it's not a snack but it, it's totally in keeping with my whole yes. um, mo which is like I like to give people less things to do. I like to take stuff off their plate. Mm. I didn't want to burden them with a massive tome. You know, there's there's no f- useless stories in there. And the thing that actually surprised me is some of my friends said, oh, I'd love to hear some more of those stories. I'd never heard that one before. Mm. Each chapter generally has a, a short story, a case study, some practical tips, and then there's an action step at the end. So, it, it's pretty consistent throughout with that sort of theme. Okay, so let's let's jump on to the two or three bits of the book that you're most proud of, um, other than just getting it out there. <laughs> In terms of the actual content itself, what are the two or three things, and we can break them down a little bit one by one, that you're most proud of that you feel are absolute non-negotiables when you set out and you started working on what was going to go in here? What are those two or three things that, that you're most proud of from the book itself? Well, I'm always a huge fan of context, and I suspect most of your audience have heard a fair bit about building a team. Yes. If, if I was on anyone else's podcast, I would say that chapter is a big shift for people who are running a small operation and need to have a bigger one. Because you generally won't go from six figures to seven figures a year without some kind of support or a team, no. you know, yeah. or beyond. So, for a lot of people who read the book, that team just smacks them in the face because they realise they're doing everything. And, and you've done a whole book on that, so I'll take a pass on that and say, for your audience, having a fair bit of understanding about their challenges and sitting down with them at masterminds and and yep. dealing with them. I think it, uh, a vital chapter is an offer that converts. This is a chapter where I talk about having something to sell because I think that's that's my observation of people who are good at writing and are talented at what they do and they they pursue uh, something like a blog where they're you know great at making it look nice and building an audience, but sometimes they don't really have anything to sell. And this is actually the real cause of the problem for things like not being able to build a team because they say things like, I can't afford to build a team. And unless you have an offer that converts, you don't really have a business. And it's very, very simple to have an offer that converts. It just means that you've got something that people could actually buy from you. 
and then they actually buy it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's if, simple if you stuff. Can get, <laughs> I know it's simple, and it, it it just sounds too simple to be true. But you know, if you were to look at, at any examples around us, it's like uh, you help businesses with telephone services. You know, they want someone to call customers or to answer calls, and you say, "Hey, I've, I can do that. Uh, we've got a team." Give us some money and we'll do that for you. And they say, yes, please. Right. You know, when can you start or how much or whatever? But you've got an offer that you can drive people to. Um, or you've got your youpreneur community. You say, I'll help you yes. uh, learn how to do personality marketing and, and boost your business. So uh, join. And there's a, an offer page and presumably they can pay money and they can come on board and you help them. So that's the offer. And I sort of point out some steps that people uh, can go through to sort of refine that offer. And, and the idea, of course, is if, if you can get that offer, then you can get to work on scaling it and helping people buy more of it. Um, and so I, I do cover some of the traps that people tend to trip over, especially like they're usually idea-driven when they just come up with a great idea or they have this uh, preference versus performance challenge where – they ask everyone what they should make and everyone says, you should make this and then they make it and no one buys it. It's a very common one. <laughs> right. So I talk, talk about how to fix that one. And and then, you know, some people actually don't want to have an offer that converts because that's going to change their world. So there's this internal sabotage to, uh, you know, to stepping out and, and publishing your offer because they're worried someone might say no or not buy. Um, but of course, the big heads up there is like if you don't, if you if you don't have an offer, there's really no difference. Um, they're not going to buy an offer that's not published anyway. So they're already saying no to you mm. as long as you don't have an offer. So really, all you're changing is the possibility to get a yes. Um, and then some people are a bit too fussy and they they tend to try and line up all their ducks in a row before they make any steps, or they spend their entire life researching and never actually getting there. So I talk about how you can just get out there with with the first version of what it is that you're going to do because it's very rare that you'll end up where you start. Like, you know, I'm not sure if you started doing exactly what you're doing now, Chris, but I'm sure there was some kind of process or gradual change over time. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's for me anyway, and I'm sure you probably agree in some way, shape or form, but for me, my own entrepreneurial journey has been just one pivot after another, after another. And what I've really done, particularly in the last five or six years, is kind of relate or rather to pivot to in, in the direction that I guess my audience and my community are interested in getting more uh, information from me and more help from me about. So, you know, six, seven years ago, or in fact, actually eight years ago when I started blogging, it was about VAs. And so, you know, then the podcast comes out, then it's lifestyle stuff, four-hour work week, and then the book deal comes along from a publisher in the U.S. for Virtual Freedom. As time has gone by, people are then coming to me, well, you've done Virtual Starfinder, you've, you know, built this out of your personal brand, you've got this, you're speaking, you're doing events, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, now the personal brand element is coming around, and that, for me, is the exciting stuff. So let's focus in on that. And here we are now with holding a huge event in the UK and coming out with a new book. I mean, it's just for me, it's a never-ending change, a never-ending uh, kind of journey. And we talked a little bit about, you know, before we started recording, how 
a lot of people don't even know that I have a huge corporate company with hundreds and hundreds of employees. And, you know, you were sort of saying, why don't you talk about it more often? The, qu- the answer really is I don't really know. Uh, it's a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you're, you are like uh, the Wizard of Oz in a way. We, the Wizard of Oz, yeah. <laughs> you're an introverted extrovert. You're a, a paradox. Yes. Um, but I, th- I think it's fascinating. I mean, you're, you're commercially extremely successful, far beyond what I think most of your audience knows. They probably know you as that goofball on Instagram who's always having fun, you know, yeah. sharing the, the jogging or doing a bit of singing. And You are an entertainer. Uh, but you've you've come from a real business background, which is actually similar to me, except that I'm not an entertainer. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but we, we both come from the the business background, and we find the online. And both stuff. from the sales background as well. Right. Very much. And, and so. what yeah. a, what a great skill to have it to is. to to get. So you know, there, there's a whole chapter in my book uh, on selling. Uh, like we. You know, you've, and that's what the offer that converts is all about. It's really sort of stepping people into this idea that you can help people be better off, which is really what my definition of selling is. It's people only buy to be better off. So if yeah. you can harness this idea, this is good for bloggers who have uh, hang-ups about um, – they're worried that people are going to think they're salespeople. But a salesperson is really just someone who can help uh, another person engineer a better-off situation. Like, would you like to be better off? Yes, well, here you go. This is my offer. And uh, I go through all these sort of filters that I have in place that that might help you. I don't think you'd like one of them, (laughs) which is, can I sell it later? Um, Because you talk about that in your new book, which I'll ask you about in another podcast. But um, generally, I try and build something that I might be able to sell later if I Mm -hmm. want to. And Mm -hmm. um, but certainly you made a good, good point. It's much easier to brand yourself. It's just much harder to sell. So there's a, there's a trade-off. And I it think is. And a- I, I, I think that a lot of the people that follow me are probably not the type of people that would potentially want to build a business to sell later. And I think I've tuned into that. Um, and I, I think you have. And, and, yeah. and I think until they – until they find their offer and scale it and build a team, they're not in a position to to sell anything because there's there is that crossover. You go between job like to actual business, and and I think certainly a lot of the art artsy people and talented writers they definitely start out in a job like role and. Then you can dial elements of that. But there's lots of great case studies like Steve Jobs and Apple, uh, Branson and Virgin uh, come to mind where you can lend a personal brand to a business and then the business could be sold. So there's lots of tricky things you can do later. So it's it's not like a black or white, yeah. yes or no. Um, even a strong company might have a charismatic CEO. So. Um, then I, you know, I just talk about if you're going to be happy about it, and if you know if you can actually get to your customers, and is it a growing market? Like, would you go into a VHS rental store right now, or you know, would you be better off pursuing blockchain or something? Yeah. So, just a few of those filters, and and then I actually sort of give a little bit of detail on how you might put together your offer, like some of the things that you would want to consider, like who is your customer, and um, who are you, you know, to be selling this thing? How can you position that and different ways you can charge for what you're selling and how you can communicate this offer? So just a little basic sales copy outline and uh, 
then I even introduced a technique that helped me through all the years, like a, a better sales technique that people can go and look up if they want more info on. So that, that I think is really useful for people uh, who are at that point where they've got an inkling that they want to do their own thing, but it's just not taking off yet. This offer that converts chapter will really tune them in. Um, and, and certainly the the first chapter on personal effectiveness will give them half a chance of getting to the offer that converts chapter because I think a lot of people are stuck in their inbox and mm-hmm. uh, their, their Facebook page. And uh, sad but true, they are kind of addicted to that that um, machine and and that's the goal of those machines is to get people on there and it can rob them of of a better lifestyle if they can't control that and I know you're super controlled with it uh, again you know, that that paradox you use these platforms extensively but also you're very disciplined like the way that you schedule things is is very organized compared to most I mean you plan things like seven years in advance I know how you work like a, um, and other people, they're, they're not planning much beyond logging into Facebook and then that's like their plan for the day and then yeah. the day's gone and then, yeah. then it happens again the next day. And they're stuck in consumption mode instead of creation. And that's the thing. I mean, you're either doing one or the other and you should do both, but in a good balance, obviously. And, you know, smart money says that you're going to ultimately do better for yourself. You're going to make more. You're going to have more effect on people if you're creating more often than you're consuming. Um, but that doesn't mean that you need to spend 10 hours a day blogging or podcasting or Facebook living. It just means that you, you should, you know, you should have the balance, right? Yeah, I think, you know, you can use consumption as a reward or a treat. And I think also if you do consume things, it can make you a better creator. If you, if you want to write, it's good to read. If you want to make videos, it's good to watch a few videos as well. So, you know, that's how I justified watching every single Netflix series for the last few years. Because um, before, you know, in my previous role, that was just impossible. It was not possible yes. that I could justify any time watching a Netflix show. Now, because I've got things set up properly and it, it's just a pure luxury and I, I think it's helping me become better at storytelling, which is essential, mm. and helping me understand uh, you know, production and and scripting and and characters and themes and and how these shows work. I mean, I know for a fact that people binge watch, which means I'm not likely to be drip feeding any of my content. Like when people buy my stuff, they get everything straight yes. away because that's how yes. people like to consume. So I'm actually you know informed by being a consumer as long as I create. Now, as, as long as you keep publishing books and uh, doing your Instagram stuff and leading people to your business, then you can consume all you want. Totally. Totally. I mean, like, I cannot for a single second, you know, disagree with you in any way, shape or form with any of that. Because for me personally, I, you know, I try to do the drip thing, the drip feeding thing inside of the Youpreneur community for a while. And after two or three videos, people were basically complaining. They were like, well, we know that Tropical Think Tank was a couple of months ago. We know all the videos are edited because <laughs> you've basically <laughs> told us, can we just have the bloody videos now, please? Why are you, why are you releasing one a week? And honestly, why were we? I, I tell I, you why I you also, were. Go on. The reason why most people do it, this may not be you, but this would be a typical response, is they want retention and they're probably on a monthly billing program and they feel if they drip that they'll keep the customer for longer. So one way to solve that is to offer annual subscriptions yes. or six-month subscriptions, in which case you as the product owner think, you know what, 
I don't mind if they pay me a year and they can just have everything right now because I've got 12 months retention right there. Yeah. And then you've got a year to re-earn that sale for the renewal, which is going to auto bill, which you should definitely inform them if it's a long period. I mean, this is my bread and butter. Membership sites is, yeah. is that's in my wheelhouse. So I think that's one of the reasons people drip is to see if they can up the industry average of three months retention. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, which, it's, which, it's certainly frankly, wasn't. It wasn't the reason why we did it because, I mean, we, you know, we do other regular. You probably wanted to help the customer by not overloading them. That was actually the Uh, reason why. We said, you know, there's a lot of stuff. We don't want to overwhelm you all. Um, But clearly they wanted it all. So I think we dropped the first few and that was it. We dumped everything else on them. (laughs) If if you drip it, they're just going to get their fill somewhere else. They'll they'll go and hoard podcasts or Netflixes or someone else's all-you-can-eat buffet. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's the reality of human behavior. So instead, I spend a lot of time with my – firstly, with onboarding, I segment people into the right category so that I'm only sending them the stuff that – that uh, they need. So I like this supermarket analogy. You know, when you go to the supermarket, there's a lot more items in there than you could fit in your cart, right? Yep. But you've probably got a shopping list. So I give people a shopping list. I say, right, if you want to make pasta tonight, you'll need uh, onions, garlic, olive oil, tomato, salt, sugar, some herbs like oregano, and, uh, you know, the pasta itself, and maybe a, a fry pan and a spoon and some cheese, you're good to go. And they can go home and make that meal and then they can go back to supermarket with the next recipe. So if you can create recipes or tracks or guide people to have a better experience within your all-you-can-eat buffet or your supermarket, then that's going to help them get a great result. But they don't feel like you're holding them back or being mean to them. Couldn't agree more. What a great analogy as well. Nice one to end on, I think. Um, thanks for coming on the show, man, and just sort of deep diving a little bit here, but leaving enough, uh, I think leaving enough curiosity, hopefully for you guys that are tuning in to pick up a copy of the book. I mean, I, I will say this, everybody, I've known James for a long time. Um, we've spent enough time with each other and conversed enough over the years, uh, where I can tell you it is all real. There's no BS attached to anything he does. The guy genuinely lives and breathes exactly what he preaches, Work less, make more. The new book. Go grab it on Amazon. Show notes, chrisducker.com forward slash episode 280. James, thanks again, mate. It was great to have you back on. Thank you, Chris. It was fantastic to be here. All right. And I'll see you guys next week for another episode of Youpreneur FM. Until then, take good care. If you enjoyed today's show, I'd love for you to check out the Youpreneur Mastermind community. It's the go-to resource for everyone wanting to build a profitable, future-proof business based around their experience and those that they want to serve. So whether you're just starting out or if you've been working hard on your personal brand and building your online platform for a while, the Youpreneur Mastermind community can help you take everything you've been doing to the next level. With lots of training, live mastermind calls, and thriving community forums where you can get the feedback, advice, and more energy and encouragement than you'll know what to do with, the Upana Mastermind community is the perfect place for anyone wanting to learn how to build, market, and monetize their personal brand. For more info and to get started on your new Youpreneur journey, head over to youpreneur.com today. I'll see you on the inside.